have to tell you, it's a little intimidating to first follow Fumi and then follow Theo. <laughs> I do have a dream that I will live long enough to see what Theo is going to become. I want to start with a heavy prayer because as, we as we're celebrating children today and the goodness of God, we're also in a week of the loss of children uh, in a terrible tragedy. And we can't just let that go by. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for prayer, and then we'll jump into the scriptures together. Let's pray. Father, we celebrate life today. It is your gift to all of us, and therefore even more tragic when it's taken and we pray for those who are in terrible grief, terrible loss, that you would bring them comfort beyond any human comfort. But at the same time, we pray that everyone around them can comfort them, and we pray, too, for us to keep them in prayer. Father, in the tragedies of life, you call us to weep with those who weep, and we do today. But also, as we come to baptism and confirmation, we rejoice with those who rejoice. Help us to live in that tension in such a way that you'd be honored. Thank you now for your word. May it bring life to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I have to tell you how much this congregation means to my wife, Marcia, and me. Obviously, we're family. For those who are visiting, John, who introduced me, is my son-in-law. Sarah, who sang the psalm, is my daughter. Uh, and... So many of the people here are very close to us. Taylor has been a friend a long time, uh, other family members in the congregation. Uh, it's almost nepotistic, what can I say? <laughs> but God has done it. I feel the same way. Um, <laughs> I said others in my family. Is he still in the family? You never know with a drummer, really. <laughs> I thought that this was going to be my last Sunday as your diocesan bishop uh, visiting you uh, because I'm uh, retiring uh, in, in the fall. Uh, another bishop has been elected. Turns out it won't be because I'll be back in about a month uh, because they're, sadly the Kogan family who are bringing several to be baptized and confirmed all have COVID and they're not going to be here. So I'm coming back. So this is not the last time, but do keep them in your prayers. I want to welcome those who are guests today uh, as you're celebrating uh, baptisms, confirmations. Key day, as Fumi said, with more passion than I've ever had in my life. <laughs> the downside of being raised in New England. I want to ask this question. What do you need to believe to be someone who experiences the transformation of being loved and rescued by God? What do you need to believe? What's the core? What's the basic belief? In other words, what do you need to believe to be a Christian, which is what we're looking at today? There are lots of scriptures that we could look at to uh, answer that question, but I want to just mention one to get us started 
that gives what I think is a surprising answer. Romans 10, verse 9. Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, the first section makes obvious sense. If we're unwilling to say that Jesus is Lord, then by definition, we're not a Christian. Christians are those who've passed over the control of their life to Jesus, who is Lord, who's in charge. We're no longer to be kings of our own little kingdom. Somehow, the Lord allows sometimes parts of our lives to crumble to remind us that we are not very good at being rulers of ourselves. But it's the second part of that statement I think is somewhat surprising. Think of what Paul doesn't say. It's probably what we would have said, and there's lots of scripture to back it up, but we would probably have said if you believe in your heart that God uh, saved us through the cross or forgave our sins, you will be saved. But that's not what Paul says. He says if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Why? Well, we're at the end of Easter season. We've been saying week after week that uh, we are giving praise to God that Jesus is risen. We say it in every service in a variety of ways. Uh, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. We say the creeds that have the resurrection in them. Why the resurrection? Why does Paul say that? Because the resurrection is the central fact of human history. The birth of Jesus, the cross were foundational events, but if Jesus had not been raised, they would be meaningless. The resurrection of Jesus verified his identity as Savior and Lord. It proved that his claims about his relationship with his father were true. It validated that his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient payment for the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future. So I want to look at two key themes about the resurrection this morning. The resurrection was a historical fact that our minds and hearts need to understand. The resurrection was a historical fact. But knowing that is not enough. We have to take it personally. We need to deeply believe in the resurrection. As Paul says, believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. What does it mean to take it personally? Well, we'll get there. First, let's talk about the historical fact of the resurrection. Now, it's not a scientific fact. Events cannot be repeated like experiments can. Historical facts are based on eyewitness reports and written records. That's how we know what happened in history. One sign that the resurrection took place was the fact that the records make it very clear that when Jesus died, not one of his followers was expecting the resurrection. Despite his predictions, he talked about it a lot. They just didn't get it. I mean, if they believed that he was going to be raised from the dead, I think they would have camped out by the tomb. I mean, would you want to miss a resurrection if you knew we were coming? The 
The resurrection is based on the evidence, on the fact of hundreds of eyewitnesses and multiple written records. And there's strong historical evidence for the resurrection, especially the remarkable change in the apostles from those who doubted one day and believed the next. They ended up themselves being willing to die as they proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus. People don't do that for something made up or a lie. Now, you can believe these things as historical facts, and there are lots of things we can look at in the, in the record. For example, there was a book years ago called Who Moved the Stone? It's a good question. How did the tomb get opened? And, and wh what in the world would have happened if, if the argument was that his body was stolen? Why would you take the clothing off the body and fold it up and leave it? It makes no sense at all. But believing these things as historical facts is not enough. Marsha often teaches, my wife often teaches that uh, when she gets to a particular passage or a particular promise of scripture, that we have to take it personally. What does it mean to take the resurrection personally? Well, I want to give you an example in my own life of a positive way of taking something personally. We can take it neg negatively. I mean, you've heard somebody say, don't take it personally, but I'm not talking about that. Let's say a positive way of thinking about that. Years ago, I was scheduled to fly to London, and I got on the first flight. It was supposed to go on to New York, if I'm remembering correctly, but it was diverted to Atlanta. And I had meetings and stuff that I needed to be at in London, and as we landed in Atlanta, I thought, this isn't going to work. But I, I touched base with the airline folks, and they said, Oh, there's one flight leaving soon. I, do, I think they're full. I don't think it'll work, but you go over there. So I raced over. This is before we had apps on our phones and monitors on the wall. And I went to the gate, and she literally wrote down my name uh, and put me at the very end of the standby list. Well, the plane began to let, uh, load the regular passengers first. Then she began to call off the stand, call up the standby passengers one by one. Several names were called, not mine. And then all of a sudden, silence. No more names called. And I was about to leave the gate. I waited a couple of minutes, but it just, I figured they were right, no more room. And then she called my name. Now, I don't want to say that I skipped down the aisle. <laughs> I am from New England, after all. <laughs> But I was thrilled that it worked. Now, I knew the facts about the, the uh, flight. I knew that there was a plane, because I could see it out the window. I knew it was going to London. I knew that passengers were getting on it. But I couldn't take it personally until my name was called. And I had to make a decision. It was not a hard decision to make. Do I get on the plane or not? Yes, I do. Now, if somebody had written a list of the passengers getting on in the order they got on, the last three words of that list would, have, would be this, and Neil Labar. I took it personally because I was called onto that flight. I pinched myself. When we talk about taking the resurrection personally, 
It's taking in the reality of it, not just as a historical fact, not just as a theological concept, but how do I personally relate to this? How do I understand that the risen Jesus is alive now and relating to me now? Think back to the resurrection uh, morning, and I asked uh, that we read from Mark uh, 16. Uh, and the angel speaking to the women says this, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Now, there are two words in Mark's account that are not in the other Gospels. There are some other references to the fact, but they're not in the Gospels. The two words are very simple. And Peter. Tell the disciples, and Peter. Why does it have that? Because at this point, Peter undoubtedly would no longer have considered himself a disciple. The worst thing in the Jewish mind of the day was for a disciple to deny his master. And Peter had done it three times in a matter of minutes on Thursday night. Peter would have counted himself out, or it could be that it's written because the rest of the disciples would have counted him out, although they had their own ways of denying Jesus. And Peter. I think if Peter had not been specifically invited, and then later he has his own one-on-one encounter with Jesus, I think Peter would have ignored the idea of following a risen Jesus. He would, he would have assumed that it was not available to him anymore. If it had just been, go tell the disciples, Peter might have thought, well, that's not me. Peter may have given up hope of ever being a disciple of Jesus again, but Jesus never gave up on Peter. When Peter's life crashed, I mean, Peter's life crashed when he denied Jesus, but Jesus had a redemptive path for him. And he took the invitation, Peter took the invitation to follow Jesus again personally. Peter was changed from a hopeless failure to a proclaimer of the gospel. And that's what we heard in 1 Peter in his letter this morning. Listen to these words. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just talking theologically. He's saying, that's my experience. I want to bless God because the next line says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us. Please hear there. He has caused you and me to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He praises God. He is rejoicing in God. Because the resurrection, this risen Lord Jesus, enabled him to have a new life, to be born again, to use that language. And we're to be holding on to the same living hope of having eternal life that Peter's talking about there. Life beyond life here. A life that death cannot destroy. In the midst of the mess in Texas this week, we need to remember this is not the only life there is. Do we take that hope personally? You know, people can live their whole lives in fear of death. But we have nothing to fear because Jesus has conquered 
death and shown us that death is not the end. Listen to these words from Hebrews 2. I'm using the message uh, translation, which is really more of a combination of, a, of a, a, a translation of the scriptures and sort of an interpretation of the scriptures. But it's often useful. Eugene Peterson, who wrote it, writes this. Since the, children, uh, since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. By embracing death, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death, and listen to this, and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. I love that phrase. It's so powerful. Freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. To take the resurrection personally is not to be scared to death of death. Now, let me be clear. We have an instinct for survival built in. Trepidation about dying itself is normal. But fear is deeper than that. Fear paralyzes us and affects our behavior and our attitudes. It takes away hope. If we take the resurrection of Jesus personally, we can live in hope, no matter what happens here. Heaven is more real than here. C.S. Lewis, the Christian writer, described life here as shadowlands in comparison to heaven. Do you walk in that hope? There are a couple of other ways to take the resurrection personally. One is to have joy. We sang that the Lord has done great things for us, and we can look back at the great things he's done. But most of all, we can rejoice that he's rescued us, given us hope, and lives his life with us day by day. We should be joyful people. Some of you know we use a catechism, and I like this particular uh, question's answer very much. It's almost poetic. Here's the question. How should you live in light of this promise of unending life? And the answer is, I should live in joyful expectation of the fullness of my transformation, soul and body, into the likeness of Christ. In the midst of suffering or in the face of hostility and persecution, I am sustained by the hope of a new heaven and earth, freed from Satan, evil, suffering, and death. That's possible because of the resurrection of Jesus. I will also say if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, we should be people who care about justice. There is crushing injustice in the murders in the school in Texas. Injustice is majorities mistreat minorities, which is true in virtually every culture and country. But God has justice ahead, and therefore we can begin to model it here. We have a true hope that evil will be judged as evil and things put right. We can resist evil now because in the end, the Lord will triumph over it. Do you see the world differently and act differently because you believe Jesus was raised and that these things are true? Do you know that if there were a list of believers, your name would be there too and you? Confirmation, uh, those being confirmed today, the confirmands, are taking it personally by making a public declaration of Jesus as Lord and Savior. True, too, for those being baptized. It's the most important declaration in all of your life. 
The resurrection is a historical fact, but you have to take it personally. Now, I want to close with a challenge. When I was investigating the Christian faith, and to be clear, I grew up in the church, but then I completely walked away from it uh, as I went to boarding school. It was a tradition of boarding school, I guess, uh, to be an agnostic. But I really was in that place. But then the Lord put some Christians in my life at the school, new chaplain and his wife, and they began to preach the gospel to me in a way I'd really never heard it before. And as I was in the midst of that search, Karen, the wife of the chaplain, said, here's a way for you to pray. God, if you're real, show yourself to me and I will follow you. And then she went on to say, it's not just God, if you're real, show yourself to me, because he's not interested in showing off. He's looking for followers. Jesus wants followers. And then I, had a, I prayed that prayer. And I had a very real encounter with God. And I knew things were going to be different. I knew I was no longer in control of my life. I had just committed to be a follower. Now I had a lot of things to learn. But I need to tell you that when I have doubts, and I do have doubts, I don't look back to that encounter with the Lord as real as it was, because I can always find a way to question it. I work back to considering the case for the resurrection of Jesus. And I find all the other explanations insufficient. Mm -hmm. Do you know the case for the resurrection? That's the challenge I give you today. A case built on testimonies of faithful witnesses who were radically changed. Remember when Jesus appears to Thomas after the resurrection, who's been doubting that it's possible that Jesus would be alive? Jesus says to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen, uh, who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying there's a blessing to believe in the eyewitnesses. And we're blessed if we believe the eyewitnesses, uh, eyewitness accounts. And that, that thinking is, uh, shows up in the first letter of Peter, in the passage we just read. He goes on, Peter goes on to say, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So do you know the case for the fact, the historical fact that Jesus was raised? It's not the only thing we need to be thinking about, but we need our minds engaged. We need to understand that we're not just believing a fairy tale. There are many good books about the resurrection and the case for the resurrection. Most recently, Tim Keller's book, Hope in Times of Fear. Boy, is that a great title. Hope in Times of Fear, subtitled The Resurrection and the Meaning of Easter. It makes a strong case. So hope in times of fear. Because we are in a time of fear, when a moment in history where everything seems to be falling apart. Peter and Thomas and the rest have their minds changed because they meet the risen Lord. They risk their lives the sake of the gospel. Do we really get this? Check your heart. Do you believe that because Jesus is risen, your sins are forgiven? 
That because Jesus is risen, you have an eternal inheritance. Because Jesus is risen, he is Lord of all. Are these things embedded in your heart of hearts and in your understanding? And if you don't believe these things, ask yourself this question. Is it because you want to remain in control of your life instead of having Jesus as Lord? John says in his gospel, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The claim there is when Jesus is in charge of our lives, we have real life. When we're in charge of our lives, we don't. Do you have real life? Jesus is risen. We glorify the Father and the Son by taking the reality of the effects of the resurrection personally because our real lives depend on it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for this day as we celebrate the new life offered, as we see it demonstrated in baptism and proclamation of your kingship. And Father, I pray for anyone here who's holding on tight to their own life, but also walking with a fear of death. I pray that you would let, help them let go. Help them understand that they're not in charge, but that the life you have for them is better. Help us, each of us who believe in you in the moments of doubt, to go back and think it through and be encouraged that we serve the risen Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I just want to make an invitation as Bishop Neal uh, prepares to uh, lead us through these baptisms and confirmations. Um, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't accepted this and you aspect of the gospel, I just want to invite you as you're watching people be baptized, enter the kingdom, as you're watching people stand and make public declarations of the faith, to just know that the gate hasn't closed. And maybe you might want to pray a prayer like Bishop Neal prayed all those years back. Uh, Lord, if you're real, show yourself to me and I'll follow you.